If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Talking in the big picture about living a life of freedom. Subsection is the unshakable kingdom. So we're talking about some kingdom principles. Lord, we just open our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, you're the one who leads us in truth. And so we just ask you to have your way in us today. Thank you for your presence. Amen. Matthew 4, 17. After Jesus' time in the wilderness, he comes to, to preach. And it says in verse 17, And from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The very first thing recorded that Jesus preached is, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, that word repent didn't mean what we kind of think it does today. We've got 2,000 years of stuff added to that, church stuff, repent, turning from sin and doing all this, and it literally meant think differently. Change the way you think. Jesus was actually saying the kingdom is different, so you've got to change the way you think. Jesus taught more about the kingdom than anything else, more about the kingdom than about salvation. So he's saying, think differently. We saw a couple weeks ago, Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's so different that we actually have to have our mind transformed to be part of it. Otherwise, we just get conformed to the world. So we see these two uh, realms in real contrast. The world ruled by the enemy and the kingdom ruled by the king. But we're raised in this realm. Not that you guys are worldly. I've just happened to, that was my left side. I keep walking over here. This is the world side. This is the, uh, the kingdom side. I, actually, it was just the opposite. This is the, the really committed, the kind of lukewarm, and these are sliding. No. So Jesus is actually saying, the kingdom is so different from the world that we actually have to be transformed to think kingdom. You believe that? There's a lot of kingdom things that we want to build our life on. I'm actually going to talk about a kingdom perspective on money. Everyone goes, uh oh. I realize that many people are uncomfortable when we talk about money because you've received something other than a kingdom perspective. Maybe you felt manipulated or guilted or controlled. My whole goal is that you're free from all that today. No manipulation, no guilt. I want to tell you this. We're not talking about money because we have a need. We don't have a need. We're actually doing really well. Why are we talking about money? Because it's part of the whole counsel of God. Paul said, I won't shun from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And so I want to talk to you about God's concept. I want, want you to be set free from wrong perceptions today. Okay? You haven't realized this, but we've been talking about money for the last couple of weeks. Now go back and listen to those sermons and go, what? 
What did we say? Exodus chapter 40. I want you to understand his introduction that God's pattern releases God's glory. In Exodus chapter 40, they're, they're building the temple. And they're building the temple the way God had told them. From verse 16, it says, And Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Verse 18, So the Lord had commanded Moses. And they did it as, verse 21, as the Lord had commanded Moses. In fact, eight times it says he did it as God commanded him. God didn't just say, hey, make me a temple. He said, this is what the temple will look look like because uh, Hebrews 8 tells us that it's a copy of something in the heavenlies. He didn't just say, hey, guys, do your best job and make something for me. He said, no, there is a pattern. And when they built it according to the pattern, verse 34, the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It says eight times he did it as God had commanded, and when they did it God's way, something was released of the glory of God. You see the same thing in the building of the temple. In 1 Chronicles 28, it talks about God giving the pattern for the t- temple to David. He told David he couldn't actually build it because he had blood on his hands, so his son Solomon built it. And when they built the, the uh, temple, according to the pattern that God had given, the same thing happened. There was something of the presence of God that came so that the priest couldn't stand. We're after the presence of God. And then you have another example in 1 Chronicles 13 where David decides he's going to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. The Ark had been someplace else, and they are going to bring it back. And if you read it, I don't, don't want to take time this morning to go through all of it, but if you read it, you'll see that they were in unity. Everyone was excited. They had worshipers. They were in unity. Everyone was there. But in the process, they put the Ark on a cart, and the oxen stumbled. Some of you know this story. And one of the guys reached out to steady the Ark and died. And David got angry and a bit fearful. Who can do this? And so he left it where it was. And two chapters later, in 1 Chronicles 15, we see them doing it again. But this time they're doing it how God had determined it should be done. Carried on the shoulders of the priests. And he says... What happened, happened because we didn't do it in the prescribed pattern. God has a pattern. Now, there's a whole sermon that I would love to get to on that. The ark represents the presence of God and is carried on the shoulders of the priests, and we're all priests. There is a story there about carrying the presence of God, not by leaders dictating how it should be done, but by people who are priests coming together to to see the presence of God manifest. Okay, that's not what we're talking about today, but I just couldn't let that one slide. I want to say this. You can't do better than God's ways. But understand this. Doing things God's way is not earning his favor. Okay, it's not if I do it God's way, he'll like me more. 
I have to do it this way so that God will bless me. It's not earning his favor. It's God showing us how the kingdom functions. It's like me teaching my children or my grandchildren not to touch the hot stove. Why? Because if you touch the hot stove, you get hurt. Now, them not touching the hot stove is not earning my favor. They already have it. I love them. There's nothing they can do. So why did I tell them not to touch the hot stove? Because it's actually for their best. God loves us. Nothing we can do can change that. But he gives us these patterns for what's best for us. Sometimes we think, ah, they were just, Old Testament stuff was just uh, earning God's favor. You know what? Murdering people was not good in the past. It's still not good. It ruins their whole day. God says, hey, this is how you function best. But understanding God's pattern, God's ways are kingdom-focused, not me-focused. God's pattern is what's best for the kingdom. Now, that's also what's best for me, but sometimes we tend to put it in context of what do I want and what would make me happy. And God has a whole different perspective. It's what is the kingdom. You know what? The kingdom doesn't exist for you. Jesus doesn't exist for you. You exist for him. You're not the center of the universe. He is. We all exist for him. Now, the thing is, when we have a relationship with him and we're intimate with him and we're in that place of intimacy, we feel like we're the center of the universe because he loves us so much. But we're still not. When his kingdom focused a number of years ago, we were uh, in a ministering in a church that we were part of in California. And Mary was praying. I didn't realize this, but we had some friends who were coming to visit, and they were missionaries. And she was praying for some money to take this gal shopping. How many of you know that missionaries don't usually have any real fashion sense? I was a missionary. (laughs) I'm doing much better. But uh, Mary was praying, and... uh, the business manager at the church, I was one of the staff at this church, said, Russ, have you been needing some money? And I went, I don't know. She said, well, somebody gave an offering and it was designated for you and it was for, for a certain amount of money. Now, Mary was praying for $100 to take this gal shopping when they came to visit. And someone gave us $1,000. And the business manager said, have you been needing some money? I said, I don't know, let me call my wife. And I said, hey, have you been praying for money? I said, yeah, I've been praying for when I take this person shopping. I said, well, how much have you been praying for? She said, $100. Well, I said, God gave us 1000 So you can really take them shopping. <laughs> what am I saying? First point of God's pattern, I talked a couple weeks ago and I talked in, in October, is that God is our source. Understand this. Nothing else I say today will make any sense if that's not the conviction in your heart. God is your source. He uses different means, but the means is not the source. You work, he gives you power, strength, to work and earn money, but he's still the source. 
See, too often we get our eyes off of God and onto the means, and we think the means is the source, and then we get into trouble. See, the world says there are limited resources, so you better grab what you can and hold on to it. In fact, if you believe in an end-time zombie apocalypse, you better become a doomsday prepper and get ready to fight off everyone who's going to come and get your stuff. You ever see that? Crazy Americans. <laughs> but that mentality affects many of us, only not quite as extreme. I've got to hold on. But God being our source, the kingdom principle is that God's our source. And so there's no limitations on what he can release into his kingdom through us. He's the source. It's amazing what he can do. You pray for $100, he can give you 1000 Now, he doesn't always do that. Why? Because often we pray amiss. We're not actually praying for someone else. We're praying for us. I, I, I wish I were a millionaire. We had a person visit our church in uh, Melbourne a number of years ago. And uh, part of their ministry, they prophesied that 16, God was going to make 16 people millionaires. And everyone went, that's me, that's me. I want to be that one. What were they thinking? Most of them were thinking that even if I tithe... 10%. I still get to keep 900,000. That's pretty cool. We'll talk about that next week. Here's the cool thing. God knows he's our source. So there's no need to worry. Think about that. God knows. You don't have to convince him. God, you're my source. God, you're my source. So we want to talk about God's pattern for money. And it starts with recognizing that God's your source. Now, I know I'm kind of pounding that nail in. But anything else that I say this morning, anything else you've ever heard about money will be distorted and twisted if that's not the conviction of your heart. With that in mind, turn with me to Malachi. Some of you know where I'm going with this. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi uh, was written, the book of Malachi was written about the same time as Nehemiah, Ezra, they return from exile, they come to the land, and God's in the process of restoring a right understanding of how Israel was to be. In essence, establishing kingdom values and principles. Uh, they had been taken captive, they'd come back, and he's restoring some things, identifying some problems. And one of the things he says in verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? I, you I would say that too. How can you rob God? He says this, uh, in tithes and offerings, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and, and try me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven 
and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord. Two things from there. Actually, a number of things. First thing is this. Tithing protects. What it actually means is I recognize that everything I have has come from God. See, if God's not your source, then this is dumb. If God is your source, we need to think differently because the kingdom is different. Actually says you'll do better with 90% than you will with 100. That math doesn't add up. The kingdom is different, isn't it? Let me say this. Let me set you free. Tithing is not giving. What? Tithing is not giving. Leviticus 27 and verse 30 says this, And all the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. It actually says, bring the tithe into the storehouse. What's it saying? It's saying, when you bring tithe... You're returning to God what is his. You're recognizing he's your source. He's saying, I've given you everything, and in order to help you remember that I've given you everything, I'm requiring you to bring this back. See, it reminds us that he's our source. It actually says to withhold it is to rob God. So you can't be robbing God if it's not his. You understand what that means? It actually belongs to him. It's kind of like if I check out a book from the library and I go back months later, I forgot I had it, and I finally realize, oh, I have this book. I've had it for a long time. I take it back to the library and I say, I want to make a gift to you of this book. (laughs) Would you give me a tax receipt? Uh, Sorry, that's American. You don't get tax receipts. I want to make a gift to you of this book. They say, you can't give us this book. It's our book. We lent it to you. Do you understand? Bringing the tithe isn't giving. It's returning what belongs to God. And it's recognizing that everything we have. But when we do, it releases God's hand to protect what we do have. He rebukes the devourer. That means that we can live better on 90% than 100%. Go figure that one out. Except that if you've actually done it, you realize that's the case. Just uh, in case you're confused, the word tithe literally means 10%. Okay, when we talk about tithe, that's really, really what the Bible is referring to. Some say, yeah, but that's a law thing. And it's not actually in the New Testament. And so grace sets us free from the law, which is true. It sets us free from the requirement of the law, which is trying to prove our righteousness by our actions. Jesus has already done that. But it doesn't set us free from the wisdom of God's patterns. Matthew 23, 
verse 23, says this. Talking about the scribes and Pharisees, you pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Jesus is actually saying, hey, you're overlooking the big things. You should do both. And then Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17 says this, do not think that I've come to destroy the law of the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by any means pass away from the law till it's fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Talk about kingdom values. Kingdom things. What's he saying? Saying that in the kingdom we go beyond what was in the Old Testament. Let me tell you, if you don't believe in tithing and you believe it's not in the New Testament, I'm not going to argue with you. Okay? If you believe the New Testament, you're going to give beyond tithe anyway. Right? See, too often people say, no, it's, in, it's, it's Old Testament, so I don't have to do it. You don't have to. Let me set you free. You don't have to do anything. It's got very quiet in here. <laughs> Running out of time. Jump over to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 9 from verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Giving is sowing. Tithing is not giving. Still with me? The tithe protects, offerings provide. Sowing says, not only is God the source of everything I have received, he's the source of everything I will receive. I'm going to sow. Tithing protects. Tithing says God's the source of everything I have. Sowing or offerings, giving, which tithing isn't. Giving is saying God's the source of everything I will have. I'm going to sow in expectation of God's faithfulness. Actually says, he even gives us the seed to sow. Verse 9, and God is able to make all grace abound to you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. 
This is grace. As is written, he has dispensed abroad, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you've sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are made rich in everything for all liberality which, or generosity which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Giving is sowing. A number of years ago when we lived in Melbourne, our boys who are now in their 30s were in their teens. And uh, we were going to actually go as a family. Felt God said something to us about going to Thailand with a, a group. And I told my sons that they had to believe God for the, the money to go, that I didn't have it for them. They were in their teens. Our youngest son was 15 at the time. Our oldest son was working and he saved his money. Our second son was in year 12, and he just said, God, I can't work, so you'll have to provide, and someone paid his way. Our youngest son was 15, and he, uh, he worked hard. He did a number of things. He mowed lawns. He saved his money. But the week before we actually had the money for the, the airline tickets, he had $300, and the airline tickets were $1,258, I remember. And he had 300 And he came to me, and he said, Dad, I only have $300. What do I do? I said, son, you better go pray and ask God what you do because you can't go on $300 and I don't have money for you. And so uh, he went and prayed. About an hour later, he came to me and said, God told me to give my $300 to this other girl on the team who was going who was $300 short of having what she needed for airfare. said, I was supposed to give it to her and sow it and trust him. I said, hey, that's a good thing. You can't go on 300 anyway, so what do you got to lose? <laughs> but it was his money. He could have just said, no, I can't go to, on the trip, and I can just use this for something else. But he actually sold it, and, and he did. Two days later, that was a Sunday. Two days later on Tuesday, the airline tickets had to be paid on Friday. We get a letter in the mail with a check in it from someone that we knew in the States that had taken six months to get to our house from the States. It actually went through South America. Postal service. <laughs> South America, Australia. It's south, it's close. It got there, but there was a check in it, and on that day, the exchange rate was $1,258. Our son learned a lesson, that when you obey God and sow, he can provide. Now, he wasn't saying, hey, you know, something will happen. He was just saying, I'm obeying. I don't know. Sowing provides. Tithing protects. Sowing provides. You know what the great thing about sowing offerings is it doesn't give us any guideline. It doesn't say how much you should give. You can give as much as you want, as often as you want, wherever you want. It doesn't give you any direction. Just give. Does it seem different than the world? Do we need some transformation? What am I saying? God's pattern is one of generosity because He is our source. 
And that's why I said, if he's not your source, ignore everything that you've heard me say. Don't even try it because you'll get hurt. But if he's your source, so how does this apply to us? A number of things. If you struggle with this, I'm going to encourage you, go search the scriptures. Don't take my word for it. See, I'm convinced if something I share is the truth of God's word, there is a confirmation of the spirit in your heart. But the bottom line is that you stand before God with your convictions, not mine. He holds you accountable for what you believe. And so you just need to say, okay, God, what are you saying to me? Ultimately, God's looking for a heart of generosity because that, that's what represents him. He so loved that he gave. That is the kingdom and not the world. That's why we need to be transformed. The world says, hang on to. Kingdom says, give as much as you can. World says, there isn't enough. Kingdom says, God's the source. He can release any amount. When you grasp this, really in your heart, you'll understand Acts 20, 35, where Paul quotes Jesus and says, Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. When you understand this, that you can be a conduit for God to release blessing to others, and you get to see that happen, you can actually understand. Most of us read that and say, that's ridiculous. How many of you have ever thought that? Don't, don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> I've been at places where I've thought, that's crazy. How can it be more blessed to give than to receive? I have a need. I need something. God, I would be blessed if you provided my need. He says, yeah, you want to really be blessed? In the midst of your need, give to someone who has greater need. Now hear this. It's a kingdom principle that doesn't just apply to money. It's part of the kingdom. Giving is the key to everything. Giving is the key to everything. Freely you receive, freely give. You've received healing, give it. Pray for people who are sick. You need a friend, show yourself friendly. You feel like things are, are weighting down on you, go pray for someone else who's got other problems. You, it's amazing what happens. All of a sudden you go, wow. I feel so much better. Why? Because the world says everything is focused on me and what I'm feeling and what I'm going through. The kingdom says, get your eyes off yourself onto the greatness of God and then give to others. I'm getting excited. <laughs> and I yell when I get excited. Very quickly, and I'm finished. Jesus talks about being faithful. 
in Luke. It says, you're faithful with least, faithful with a little, faithful with what is in others, and you'll be given the true riches. Faithfulness. I believe the least he's talking about is money. That's the least. He's saying, hey, where are you with this? Because I actually want to entrust to you people's lives, true riches that have eternal destiny. Can I find you faithful with the least? And then the little, yourself. And then what belongs to another? Get something settled in your heart. The kingdom functions this way. God's the source. And giving is the key to releasing everything. Releasing the Holy Spirit. Releasing healing. Releasing the power of God. The word of God. Mary was telling me she was reading Proverbs the other day. Talks about words being like, uh, in season, being like uh, apples of gold or something of, of preciousness and uh, how that applies to the words we say but also applies to a prophetic word or a word of knowledge or a word that God gives you in season in the right place can be precious something we need to value but it does absolutely nothing if you don't give it I wish God would use me more God says okay share this no I'm not going to do that oh but I wish God would use me more yeah, well, pray for this person. No, I can't do that. But I wish God would use me more. Share this word of knowledge with this person. No, I can't do that. It might be wrong. But I wish God would use me more. Faithful with the little. Given charge over much. Would you bow your head? We're going to uh, finish with communion. That's why I was talking so fast. We're going to have communion. Communion is a reminder of the covenant that we're in with God. Nothing you do can make him love you more. And nothing you do can make him love you less. So the reason we learn kingdom principles is not to earn God's favor. It's because we then become more useful to him. More able to be used. Why do we want to grow in the prophetic? Because we can become more able for him to give a word in season. So I'm going to ask uh, you guys here, if you just go grab this first row here. Go just grab the stuff and begin to pass it out. Just go ahead and take a, uh, a cup and some cracker. And if you'd hang on to it, we'll take it together.
If you can do that and still listen to me, I'd appreciate it. Otherwise, I'm just going to ramble until I get your attention back, and then I'm going to say it anyway, and we're just going to be here longer. No. (laughs) Maybe you've been manipulated with talks about money. Maybe you felt pressured to give. I believe God just wants to set you free. Maybe you have felt for some reason that you didn't have much and so you were less important or less valuable. That's the way of the world. It's not the way of the kingdom. There's this wonderful story of the guys at the are at the temple, the disciples, and this lady comes in and puts in two pennies, two cents. And Jesus said, she gave more than all the rest combined. It's not the amount, it's the heart. She was saying, I don't have much, but God's my source. Even what little I have. You ever thought about the, uh, the little boy with the uh, lunch? He had five little rolls and two fish. That was his lunch. And all these people were there. Nobody had lunch. Thousands of people. And one kid thought in advance. (laughs) Or the mom. Yeah, I won't give the mom credit. Wasn't the kid. The mom thought in advance and gave gave him something. And so they're all there. Nobody has anything. I don't think they actually took up an offering. It doesn't show that. What happens? This little kid says, sees all these people and everyone's hungry and he comes and he says, here, here's what I have. He had five loaves and two fish. And what happened? He gave and God multiplied it and fed thousands of people. Maybe you don't have much. Maybe you can pray for someone. Maybe you feel like maybe you have a word of encouragement, but you're not really sure. And so, hey, just in humility, go share. And I feel like God might be saying this. Don't come with some prideful, the Lord says. Just go and say, hey. See, humility releases grace. And so we want to have a humble heart attitude. God, everything I have is yours. My finances is only a small part of that. My time, my talent, it's yours. That's part of what covenant is about. See, he says everything he has becomes ours, but our response is that everything we have becomes his. We like the first part. Yes! The God of the universe, everything he has becomes mine. And nobody ever talks about the other part. Everything I have becomes his. Someone needs a lift, I have a car. It's not mine. It's his. Someone needs a place to stay, I have a bed. It's not mine. It's his. Be careful when you take communion.
because he just might actually ask you for what's his. Lord, we're just so grateful that it's your love that motivates everything you do and say toward us. You only have our highest in mind. You ask us to give because you know you're our source. And you're more than faithful. But Lord, we thank you that you gave the greatest you loved us so much that you gave us your son who paid the penalty for our sin that we might be free and we might be part of your kingdom and we might live in relationship with you. Our sin was removed. We are able to come to your very presence. And we thank you. Lord, as we take this, we're taking it not just in remembrance, of an event that happened thousands of years ago, but in remembrance of you, the lover of our soul. And we say, we love you. We're in covenant with you. And Lord, we say one more time, everything we have is yours. As you reach across the table and hand us the cup and say, I choose you, our response is that yes, Jesus, we choose you. Thank you. He took the bread and he broke and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. Sorry, all my chewing is on the uh... <laughs> And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Lord, we thank you. We're reminded of that covenant as we take this in Jesus' name.